This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. I'm David Merrill, and uh, right off the bat, we kind of got to discuss. There's been a, a a development in Patrick's summer fishing season. <laughs> uh, you had to bring it up, didn't you? Yeah, uh, we just that's like a band aid. Rip it off, get it out of the way. Yeah. So, just some advice for all of you hardcore anglers who are out there. You probably don't want to play basketball. Um, basketball is a dangerous sport. I've learned this after having my nose broken, my ankle broken, and now destroying my shoulder. So, um, I was playing basketball this past week. Having a good time, doing well, went for a steal, got tripped, fell with my full weight on my left elbow, dislocated my shoulder, and tore a whole bunch of stuff in my once reconstructed shoulder, which will probably be now a twice reconstructed shoulder. But yeah, I'm kind of kind of bummed out. Uh, it's Not it's your left one, so you know, for us left-handed people, it'd be a big deal. But you'll <laughs> you'll survive. Yeah, it makes fishing a little bit harder, but it's it's gonna work out and. And David, you know, tell us a little bit about what you've been doing because you've been traveling still and selling bow spiders. So tell us, just give us an update where you're at. Well, 9,000 miles in a month on the old bow spider Suburban. If you haven't gone on uh, social media and seen it yet, uh, we're doing a big giveaway if you tag us in a picture. So when it drives through your state and city, which will be very soon, we're, we're hitting the majority of the western states the rest of the month. So, And you have a film coming out soon and a big giveaway, so just give us a sneak peek of what that's all about. Yeah, last fall we uh, we had a harebrained idea to, to film one of our hunts, and we did. So for the premiere of that, we're going to have a huge giveaway, and all next month, which will be the month of July, uh, you can sign up. There will be a link on all our socials on the webpage and we'll throw one in the show notes here as well. We're giving away three three prizes, a grand prize, a, a kind of a second, a third place prize, and about $10,000 worth of gear from new Kafaru backpack to new Maven binoculars, a pair of sheep feet, outdoor edge, bow spider, and then uh, Blue Creek Outdoors, Joe Bartlett. He's been on mm-hmm. here before. If you don't know who he is, go back and <laughs> listen to his episode. Blue Creek Outdoors, Joe Bartlett. He is giving away two days of guided filming. It's a pretty big price package for sure. It's going to be cool. And that's, it's all in lieu of our kind of our premiere for our sheep film launch, which will be on YouTube on the second. We'll do a little Facebook live and publish that. And we'll also publish the uh, giveaway. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, what he's talking about is a doll sheep hunt in Alaska that he went on with his dad and had it filmed. So it's a pretty cool deal. And that's going to be out there on YouTube. We'll have a link to it as soon as it goes up. Also on the RadcastOutdoors.com website, as well as, of course, BowSpider.com. So you can watch that. But it's pretty exciting stuff. And yeah, Bo, BowSpider footed the bill for all of it, and it's been pretty cool. If you haven't, if this is your first uh, Radcast Outdoors podcast, go check out BowSpider. You'll, yep. you'll, you'll quickly know what the fuss is all about. Yep, and so today... We're, we're going to be kind of getting back to the heart of what we started this podcast to really do and kind of the feel and what we wanted to have. And, 
you know, when Dave and I talked about this, we wanted it to be kind of a campfire conversation, you know, hunting and fishing, telling stories, you know, also, you know, sharing experiences and tips and tricks. But uh, somebody really special to me is in the studio today, and uh, that's my wife's grandfather, Hall Stoddard. So, Hall, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And so, Hall, he's he's done a lot of different things in fishing and in hunting. And I remember when I met my wife, we, we had talked about, you know, she said, you got to meet my grandpa. I was like, well, why is that? And she said, well, I think that you both are both fish nuts, which is true. And when I did meet him, it was very true. He is totally a fish nut. And so, <laughs> you know, we enjoy going fishing together and, and sharing stories. We went to Alaska together. It's been, what, seven years ago, something yeah. like that. And um, just really enjoy spending time with him. So I thought it'd be fun to have him on the podcast. So welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah. So we were talking about it a little bit today, but, um, you know, like I said, you've traveled, you've done a lot of things. And we were talking about, you know, lingcod fishing and some of the deep sea, because you've done a lot more of that than I have. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, what's some of your favorite memories of doing the deep sea fishing? I think probably uh, as a child uh, with my parents, uh, they were avid deep sea fishermen also. And so I grew up on the ocean in Southern California. And... uh, the fish out there at that time when there was no slot limits or anything like that <laughs> it was you know you could get overboard with too many fish you know really when we went fishing normally our neighbors would hide because we always came back with would you like some fish <laughs> and <laughs> it, it gets old after some time but no the, the salt water is a, a good venue it really is um, anywhere from you know, what they call a calico bass right up to... I've caught a couple of sword or uh, sailfish. I've got a, a everything bite. but a wahoo. That's the only fish <laughs> I haven't caught out there that I really would have thought I would like to catch, but I don't think I will ever see that day now, so... There's something mysterious about, you know, if you're, if you're fishing a, a lake, an, an inland body of water, and we're not talking the Great Lakes, we're talking Wyoming lakes, right, where you pretty well could see the bank all the way around. It's There's something a little eerie about, you know... When, when you launch out of any one of those ocean ports and you just start steaming out and you're now, you're not in a little 20 foot aluminum skiff. You're in a, you're in a boat, right? You're in, right, a, right. You're in a ship more or less <laughs> for the most part. But you know, you get to where you can barely see land out there and it's. There's been plenty of times when you can't see it at all. You just happen. I hope to know which direction to go to find something dry, you know, at some time or another. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I know like you were, you were telling me a little bit about lingcod fishing. So tell me a little bit about that and some of the times you've gone out. Well, lingcod are, you know, pretty severe predator fish, and uh, but they're in a very rocky uh, structure. So it can be costly because <laughs> of losing jigs, which is very easy to do. But the ling are, are like I said, true predator fish. And actually you can hook a small rockfish or something like that and the ling will understand that it's under duress and will then take it and you think uh oh that little fish is just suddenly its attitude has changed immensely and so it, you can piggyback them <laughs> up and as long as you don't break the surface of the water you can normally then gaff the ling and i've seen 12 14 inch fish come out of a ling when he hits the deck of a boat so, I mean, I've caught them up to 30 pounds. 
and uh, they don't really they're not an aggressive fish to catch uh, but uh, they make up for it on the table well David you've had an experience with them too haven't you my, my one and only claim to fang on on Ling and we did quite a few Ling off the Oregon coast but I lived in Alaska for a short stint and got to go do an overnight on an ocean boat where we stayed in uh, and I'll give it to you Port Graham we, we steamed out of Homer overnighted in Port Graham and got two bag limits of fish and then went back. And we did a little bear hunting in the mornings and evenings as well. It's a pretty good mixed bag hunt. But uh, I had a fish on it, just wasn't acting right. You know, and it got, uh, got most of the way up to the boat and just reeling it in, it just, you know, it just was acting really weird. Well, it was a approximately 24 to 30 inch ling that was hooked in the mouth on a, you know, we're running about an eight inch jig, but he got a half hitch lassoed around because he was trying to run away from the other ling that was trying to eat him. And, uh, no joke about six feet below the surface of the water. I'm up on the front of this big cabin pusher boat, diesel 36 foot boat. And a, a ling in the 55 to 60 inch swam up, swallowed half of my fish, bit down, blood went everywhere and he shook him for a second, and then he decided he didn't like that, and he left. And we were trying to get the gaff and get that other link. So it was, you know, the fish I caught had a had a mouth like a coffee can, maybe, right? The fish that swam up and bit him had a mouth like a five-gallon bucket, and wow. that's no joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've got some serious bite strength. I mean, they could chomp yeah, just about anything. Well, they've also anything. got a mouthful of teeth you don't want to. They're a couple inches it. long. <laughs> yeah. No, very serious. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to lip one of those fish. No. <laughs> it, for for the freshwater guys, just think of a, a northern pike on steroids. Yeah, with really strong jaws. Yeah, exactly. Really strong jaws. But you did yep. touch on to one thing that you know they they don't fight very hard. I mean they they have a little burst of fight and then they kind of you get the head shake. And, yep. Yeah. They, I think they're a, a speed fish, right? They see that fish like you're talking about in distress, and they dart out of the rocks and grab it yeah, yeah very predatory ambush oh yeah, oh yeah. Type they, they are an ambush yeah they really do mm. like i said they make up for any any of their fallbacks make up for it on the table so yeah in fact i don't know you i don't know if i've got any to give you or not <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do uh, i'd be interested <laughs> my, my wife's got to go through the freezer first and all our fish from last year is on the bottom of the freezer and i'll tell you what that uh, ocean fish you know a lot of people in wyoming aren't very exposed to seafood you know and ocean fish and it's just it's a different animal than your freshwater fish because it's just so dang good and a story I can tell about Hall is we went to Hawaii for a wedding and we went out on the ocean. We caught some mahi-mahi and yellowfin tuna. And then we came back to this house that the family had rented, you know. And so we had the whole house and a lot of people, a lot of mouths to feed. So Hall and I start cooking. and uh, Cook and cook professionally. <laughs> we, we cooked up the mahi-mahi and put it on a platter and kind of set it to the side. And started cooking tuna steaks that were about, what, three quarters to an inch thick? Yeah. Something yeah, like that. Right. And what happened to all the mahi-mahi while we weren't it, looking? It all went down the tube. <laughs> <laughs> I, in, uh, in fact, I accused my wife of letting people in off the street. Because <laughs> I said, there's no way that we could be feeding this many people. Oh, man. That mahi-mahi yeah. disappeared in about a nanosecond, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awful good. Yeah, my opinion is that nothing that comes out of the ocean isn't good to eat. I mean, it's 
from shellfish on up. It's it's extraordinary, you know, mm-hmm. really. It's uh, it's good sport. Yeah. What's your favorite it's, out of the ocean? If you had to pick one, I know it's a tough tough question, but what would be your favorite? I think a big white sea bass is probably as good a fish as I've ever caught. And, you know, they run in the 35 to 50-pound class. And excellent fish to catch, excellent fish to eat. They're really amazing. What would be your favorite, Patrick? I don't know, man. That mahi-mahi I had was pretty hard to beat. Um, Gosh. I don't know. Krista and I, when we went to Costa Rica, we caught some black and white tuna down there and those were really good too so i don't know um i i think it's it kind of depends on what you're looking for like a you know the tuna has a different texture you know a little bit more like a steak and so if you're looking for that i mean that's the go-to but um flavor wise man that mahi mahi i just remember that just being incredible and then of course fresh fresh caught anything out of the ocean is good but I, I don't know, mahi-mahi was tough to beat. Remind me to tell you later, I'll give you a good recipe for tuna. Yeah, definitely. What's yours, David? What's your favorite out of the ocean? Well, I, I'm not as cultured as, as some of us around the table here. But, you know, I, I do joke that I go to Alaska for the for the halibut all the time, just for the halibut. That's a tough one, man, to beat. But, you know, the wife does some home canned tuna. Mm-hmm. And if you make a, a tuna sandwich with that home, fresh home canned tuna, I mean, I know a bunch of people are... Their eyebrows are raising and wonder what we're not talking bumblebee tuna from the store here. We're talking, <laughs> yeah. you know, and she oh, puts man. a little bit of garlic and some other stuff on top. And, oh, yeah. you know, I, I'll have to, I, I'm thinking of prepared fish here at the moment, but right between either, you know, fried halibut cheeks or, you know, fresh tuna fish sandwich with, now you got to have the cut up onions and the cut up pickles and the mustard and the salt and the pepper and, mix that all in there on some nice toasted bread i don't i don't know it's a toss-up well you know you consider the sockeye salmon actually yeah. uh, amazing fish and they're probably the most flavorful of the salmon as far as i'm concerned but uh, so there's a joke you know, there's a little alaskan boy and his mom's cooking dinner and he uh, starts going around telling everybody, Mom's cooking dinner. She says we're having king. I sure hope it's not salmon. <laughs> I've about had my fill of salmon. <laughs> mm. I like a good smoked salmon every now and again. But other than that, I'll go for the halibut. Yeah, I'm with you. Halibut's, <laughs> halibut's as good as it gets. Although, right. when we went up there, you know, that first day that we got into them and then we went back to back to the cabin we grilled one fresh that we just caught i mean it was about a four pound hen soccer yeah out of the river and man that was it's pretty tough to beat when it is just alive and you cook it i mean that's yeah that's good that is very good so i did cook a chum in southeast alaska i wouldn't recommend it it's (laughs) it's marginal at best dog salmon there's a reason they have that nickname uh, the sockeye, you don't have the really red meat, mm-hmm. and they are a really great canning, you know, smoking. decent smoking, yeah. just a great all-around. You know, the silvers are actually my favorite to catch, and their fresh silver is great. Uh, one fish that a lot of people, even Alaskans, turn their nose up is, is humpies, pinks. Yeah, the pinks. But if you get one with sea lice still on it, you know, if you're, like, fishing the Kenai, mm-hmm. 
you get one that hasn't and they change color so rapidly and they start developing that big dorsal oh, hump and yeah. and they start consuming their fat and they really quickly they don't they don't keep well they're not a great fish but if you pull one out of the river like you guys talked about put it right on the fire especially if it's still somewhat silver and has some sea lice on it it's pretty dang good yeah. but yeah. king as far as it's got the fatty you know it's just it's one of the best canning meats but as far as fresh cooking, it's hard to beat that sockeye. Oh, yeah. sockeye is amazing. Yeah, it really is. And they're fun to catch. Yeah. Up when, you know, when you just floss their feet, all, all you're doing is flossing them. We've Bear talked about it before. Yeah. Bear it, hook and all. Oh, yeah. It's crazy <laughs> that, you know, you, you hook into a 40, 50-pound king. And I mean, you, you know you've done something, but yeah. they just kind of go out the middle of the river and down to the bottom and sit there. You know, those, those six to eight-pound sockeyes will break 20 pound test flopping on top they yep, they fight tough. yeah and the, the kenai run is usually a pretty good size run because i came out of there one time with uh, four fillets six fillets i'll take a six fillets and add 24 pounds of meat oh yeah you can they, they get into and some of those just, big bucks just, are pushing over 10 12 yeah. i don't they barely get up to the 14 but i've got a lot at 12 pounds yeah yeah, yeah. that's a that's a fish when you catch a buck like that because those those salmon are beautiful and <laughs> they can pull. <laughs> we introduced him to flossing. Oh man, that was so much fun. <laughs> that was that was one of those trips of my life. You know, it was like I'm finally doing it because I've told this story before. But being a young kid going to Alaska, seeing Alaska, but not being able to fish, it was hard. You know, and then being able to go with Hall and his two boys, and man, we had a good time. So Caught a lot fun. of fish. Yes, we did. We all came back with 75 pounds of fish. Just fish, you know. And we went out off of Seward and got to catch some halibut, some rockfish, and even some Pacific cod, which was kind of fun, you know. Uh, it's all a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Really, some of those areas, when you put your hook in the water, you don't know what's going to come out of it. You know? uh, that's a fact. Yeah. That's part of the fun of fishing in the ocean, right? You don't know what you're going to pull up. Because I think you were telling me that when you were a kid. You know, you go off the coast there, you didn't know what you were going to get. No, and and if you got into them, you always got too many. That's true. I mean, I can remember barracuda trips when before there was a slot limit on the fish. And I've seen I've seen barracuda come out of the water and take an anchovy that you've thrown, and it hasn't even hit the water yet, come out and take it in the air. And that's crazy, you know, but uh, they'll do it. But the uh, Pacific barracuda are smaller. Because you get down there in the Florida country, you know, you get the 100-pounders out on the West Coast. If you get them up to 8, 10, 12 pounds, that's a big barracuda. But they're still good to eat. Mm -hmm. Those are. So I went to a trade show in Florida this year, and we took an extra day and went deep sea uh, out there on Florida. And one thing I noticed that was crazy is, you know, having been Alaska, Pacific Northwest, you know, going out of either Portland or Depot, you know, the water's kind of gray-green. I'd call it a mostly a, you know what, a dark green. That water there off Florida was just as blue as I've ever seen the ocean. And you can see forever down. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah it's uh, the Pacific's like murky. I mean, it's green and murky, and it's cold, right? That, mm. that water down there in Florida was warm, and it was... It was just weird. I, I, as a kid, we'd go swimming off the Oregon coast, and in August, you, you didn't last very long out there in the water. <laughs> Hypothermia, here it comes. Mm -hmm. Here I am in February <laughs> down in Florida. I go touch the water. I'm like, 
That's that's bathtub water, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool that you got to do that. We didn't catch any fish, but I did get to see some flying fish. Mm-hmm. And that's something I'd never, you know, and okay, people talk about this or that, but those little suckers, I mean, the boat would scare them a couple times when the boat was porpoising over a, a crest of a wave and 15 or 20 of them would jump and, you know, Fly. they swim, jump, yeah. and they lock those little wings of theirs two, 300 yards, and they go with the waves up and down, you know, as the waves are rolling through, they kind of like surf the wave, just six, 12 inches above. And sometimes they only go 30 feet, but a couple times they went 400 yards. And they're not a big fish. I mean, Mm-mm. no 12, 14 inch fish, but they get, their wings are about that much too. Yeah. So that, that was a neat experience I'd never seen before. The other one that really is a little eerie is we've seen orcas off the Alaska coast. And I mean, right off the boat, and they rolled up and looked at us, and mm-hmm. I looked at that, and I said, that's a fish that could eat you. I know they're not a fish. They're a mammal, <laughs> yeah. but okay, they have a tail and teeth, and they're in the water. When I went up with Hall, we had a pod come right by the boat, and boy, yeah, it's intimidating. It is. It's like, whoa, that thing is enormous. A couple times I've had whales do the, uh, you know, just the tail where they, Slap. I haven't seen them breach, but just the tail where they Slap. are diving and. Yeah. Paul, do you remember that humpback that breached by our boat when we were jigging yeah, out there off right. Sierra? Yeah. That, yep. that was an awakening. Yeah. When you're not looking for that, that'll no, wake you up. It'll wake you up. It'll... So that is that is the neat it'll thing get your about attention in a hurry. Yeah, you, yeah, you, know, you don't know what you're going to get. You know, well, I was down in Texas here a few years ago in, in a camp, and we were out fishing, and I happened to spot a dolphin. And I asked this cold fellow I was fishing with, I said, Dolphin. He said, oh, yeah, that's Henry or George or something like that. <laughs> I said, he says, he's around here all the time. I said, do you feed him? And he says, I beg your pardon. I said, do you feed him? He says, no. He says, what are you talking about? And I said, well, here, wait a minute. We had a couple of scrap fish in the bottom of the boat. Picked it up, and I waved at the fish, and I slapped the water a couple of times. And here he came. Came right up the side of the boat. I held the fish out. He rolled over on his side, took it out of my hand, went away. The old man says, can you do that again? <laughs> Here he came. He didn't want to be touched, though. The fish didn't like to be touched, but he would roll over on his side, over his mouth, and take that fish. And this old fellow says, can I do it? Why not? So he did it a couple times, and about two or three days later, I'm in the camp. And a fellow comes up to me. He says, did you go fishing with what's-his-face the other day and start feeding that dolphin? I said, yes. He says, that's all he wants to do now. He doesn't want to fish. All he wants to do is feed the dolphin. <laughs> go feed the dolphin. <laughs> Dolphins are cool. Yeah. 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 And it's it's kind of fun, like, seeing different kinds of porpoises, right? Because, I mean, they're, like, up in Alaska, you have those that are kind of like the, you know what I'm talking about, David, the dark gray, black kind of color. And then you've got... You know, all kinds of different varieties, but man, they are so cool to watch. You know, we, when we were in Costa Rica, you know, we were motoring out, we were looking for birds so we could find bait. And, uh, we saw a bunch of birds off on the horizon and, and sure enough, once we got up there, there were a whole bunch of these porpoises, you know, these little dolphins. And I mean, they were out there just tearing it up and that was, that was cool to watch because they work together. Yeah. I mean, they, and they're really They'll encircle a fish and and force them into a tight core, and then they'll just mm-hmm. go right through them. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really yeah. fun to watch. I was over in Hawaii once, and we got into some 
porpoises that are, these guys were black and white, but when they came out of the water, they were very aerobatic. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they were doing flips. And they were coming up 12, 14 feet out of the water and doing flips and back in. And they were just having the fun. I mean, they, they were just playing out there. Well, I think the SeaWorld dolphins and like Flipper, that was a bottlenose dolphin, that, that mm-hmm. species. The one you're talking about in Alaska is the Pacific white-sided dolphin. And they look kind of like a, almost like a orca, not not quite as dramatic black and white, but they're definitely, really cool. they have this white speckled stripe on them. They're, they just don't have the big dorsal. No, they don't have the big, they're, they're, <laughs> Yeah, the dolphin. No, the orca's got Yeah, the orca's got a three-footer. Three <laughs> or more, yeah. It's pretty yeah, crazy. But, yeah, yeah, so yeah, and they and they like to the Pacifics when the very first trip I went to Alaska, we took the Alaska Marine Highway Ferry. And we rode that up to catch can and then we got a float plane out to our fishing cabin we rented and fished. And I remember because it's a three or four day ferry ride, your people were duct taping tents off the back and we just slept rolled a cot out and rolled a mattress out on the front and you could rent a cabin, but we just slept on the deck up front. And every once in a while, I'd go up front and look, and the, the dolphins would be playing in the wake of the boat, which is neat to see. Oh, yeah. They're a really cool animal. But, yeah, it's it was kind of cool in Costa Rica watching them work together and kind of driving the bait into a ball. And then, of course, the birds take advantage of it at that point, and they come barreling out of the sky and picking off fish out of the water. It was, it was neat. It's, it's just amazing. Like, you talked about the ocean a little bit earlier right of how it's just different you know you get out there there's so much out there that you don't know and there's it smells so many... different it sounds different oh, and you put your hook down and you might be catching a one pound fish and you might be catching a 300 pound fish yeah. i was out at brookings two years ago we had been fishing for bottom fish you know just maybe five pound fish all of a sudden my jig takes off for alaska <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're not really equipped for this, and so I threw the air on it, and I had no control over this fish, and the skipper of the boat came up and said, what are you doing? I just, don't ask me, but there's something out there that's very mad at me right now. And he had everybody reel in, and he says, well, chase it and find out what it is. It, was a, it turned out to be a, a thrasher shark. That's the one that oh. has the big sweeping tail, you know. And uh, we got it to the surface twice, and... Uh, Saw it, you know, about seven foot long, so they figured it weighed something over 100 pounds. They really wanted to get it, but he took a dive once, and of course, we're using braided line. Braided line and cut and, the line uh, yep, on his teeth. Yep, cut it on his tooth, and away it went. But boy, I had fun for a while. That's one of the coolest looking sharks out there, too. Oh, yeah, they get that huge long tail. Very long. They're tail. supposed to be very edible. Hmm. I found, I went, I mean, the. Uh, the guy on the boat said, well, you're going to share it. If we land it, we're going to share it with everybody. I said, I don't care. you know." So then I got on the Internet and looked up recipes for Thresher and a bunch of them. So. I remember on free fishing day, the uh, we went on a deep sea. And there's free fishing weekend in Oregon where you don't have to have a fishing license or a tag or anything. And it's just to, you know, do recruitment for the sport of fishing. Uh, we went deep sea fishing for the weekend. And I was dating my wife at the time, and my father went, and my sister went, and I went. And, you know, when you're jigging in the ocean, you, you, you just let it right down the rail and just drop it and get down to the bottom as quick as you, you can. Well, my wife had gotten bored, so she started casting that jig out there. She caught about a 25, 30-pound <laughs> salmon. Maybe, wow. I mean, it, it hit the water and maybe fell 10, 8 feet, you know, and she landed it on that bottom jig and... We got a picture of a, a ling and a 
a sea bass and a salmon that day. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. I know when we were in Alaska, I kind of got bored with the rockfish there for a little bit, and we could see on the sonar that there were salmon, you know, cruising in the middle of the water column. And so the, the captain was like, why don't you reel up and, you know, see if you can catch one of those. And we caught a couple of really nice silvers doing yeah, that. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are fun. I like those silvers too. Yeah. I, um, to be effective, you know, you troll troll a, a herring in that water column with downriggers, right, and get it right in their face. And I can't quite remember the speed, but relelatively slow. Not half a knot, but not, you know, three. About, mm-hmm. about a mile, mile and a half. And that's that's a very effective way, but in my mind, it's kind of boring, right? Because the, the fish pops off the downringer, it's already hooked, and you just kind of reel it in. And they fight, but, you know, it's just while you're fishing, you're just standing there waiting for a rod to pop off a yeah, downringer. Right, right. You get on the kenai, and you start. <laughs> I like to throw either eggs or a spinner, and, you know, sometimes even flies, like a purple egg-sucking egg leech. Those silvers will pound that fly, and they come out of the water usually twice. Hand-to-hand combat, man. I had I, I hooked, I foul-hooked a, a silver, about a sewered one time. That, I don't know, it probably weighed 15, 16 pounds, which, you know, it's good silver, but I had it in the tail. It's kind of hard to bring them in the wrong way in, right? <laughs> I thought we'd never get that fish in. <laughs> when we finally got it in and saw that it was hooked in the tail, it was no big deal, you know, he's going to let it go. But uh, I'll tell you what, it was a handful. Really was. I've seen some sockeye come in the wrong way and just eat people's lunch. They just because they get them right up to the shore, right, and they're trying to reach down there, and that fish just gets goes to hypertail and just gives oh, them a man. bath right there and right then. I caught a nice buck when we went up, a real nice one, and it had three or four hooks in its back. Jewelry, yeah, and I mean that, and it was a bigger one. You know, I think you remember it was yeah. a good one, and it was a good fish, and it was like. Well, I see why they got broke off. I mean, I, I can't even imagine trying to land a sockeye hooked in the back. I mean, they're just so powerful. And there's and they're not a large salmon. They don't get no, much over. They're charged 50. with they're charged with electricity. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've 12, noticed 12, 14 pound sockeye. It's a big sockeye. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I've noticed leader length uh, really plays into you know catch. If you're if you're much under 12 inch leader when you're flossing, you just that doesn't give you a very wide swath of water column to, to actually hook a fish, but you get much over the 30 inch kind of leader number. We were over that. <laughs> you, you get into that 50, 60 inch leader and you get more snags because you, you're, you know, those fish are swimming up in a pretty tight school and the first fish and, you know, you got like three abreast basically. The first fish is tugging on the weight with his mouth and he's actually foul hooking the you know the fish where the hook's at so you kind of you got to play around with that leader length a little bit and figure out what's working for you and your speed of of the the keen-eye jerk i call it because it's yeah. <laughs> what, you, well you know you, you develop a feel for it oh yeah you know, takes about big, a day yeah well, it's, then it starts to sink in there's, just, there's fish there it's yeah. just like walleye fishing like when you're a jig fisherman you got to get the feel down i mean it's just any kind of fishing, right? I mean, you, well, each you has its own it technique. Yep. You know, there's techniques to each individual fish, really, when you come right down to it. Mm-hmm. I can remember uh, steelhead on the South Sandy Am, and we were just just uh, dead drifting a corky with a little bit of eggs, right? And basically, when the steelhead picks it up, we're we're floating in the river with with the water, with the current, 
and you just cast out and you're you're now floating with your eggs. Well, when it stops, it's either hung up on the bottom or hung up on a fish. It doesn't matter. You set yeah, the hook. Yeah. I remember I went with this guy I worked with in new in college, and we took one of the other guys we worked with, and we each put six fish in the boat, you know, catch and release, and he he'd gone with us two or three weekends in a row and could not hook and could not land a fish. And if there's three guys standing in a boat and two of each got six, you know, the third one's doing something. I mean, same bait, same tackle, same day, same water. There's there's something going on, he right? He was fishing on the wrong side of the boat. Well, we were all standing on the same side of the boat. <laughs> or he's holding his mouth wrong, is what we say. Yeah, or he had a banana in his mouth. Uh, this is true. So what? What? where does this come from for people who don't understand? Because you'll get kicked off an ocean-going boat if you show up with a banana. That's right. I don't know where it came from, but it's... It's a bad luck omen. Well, <laughs> what what I think there's actually some scientific evidence to this because seriously, if you take a banana and put it in your lunchbox with your, I don't know, little Debbie chocolate chip cookie, when you go to eat that little Debbie chocolate chip cookie, it tastes like dang banana. And then if you leave that <laughs> banana in there over the weekend, everything smells and tastes like banana. So yeah, good old bananas. I don't, <laughs> don't know. take them. Don't bring them on my boat. Don't, don't go fishing with a banana. No. I'll admit I've taken them fishing and done just fine. But yeah, there is something to that, David. I don't know what it is about bananas, but they tend to, they mess with everything. Like if you, if you have it in the lunchbox, you are dead on. <laughs> it I always remember everything. also when I was younger, I smoked. And I also, I got to thinking, you know, when I'm putting live bait on a hook, you know, you have the nicotine is in your system. There's oftentimes I've thought that the nicotine was adverse to a fish. They didn't like that. So I can, I, I can't speak scientifically of that uh, observation, but I can, you know, substantiate that when we went king salmon fishing here a couple of years ago on the Kenai, we had... The, the junkiest boat out there in the in the water column with 50 other boats and we outfished every other boat that was out there that day but i had brand new fresh sockeye eggs that i had prepared with gloves on you know set them out on a rack cured them put them in the gallon bag and then when we baited up i wore gloves as well so there's no human scent on those eggs and i think people buying the store-bought bait that's old and rotten and hey, that's in, bait is important especially for trout and salmon because they do have such a good sense of taste yeah, and smell sensory. so they're they're critical with that i mean i i believe that for sure and i did it a really loose cure on those eggs so they're really milky they didn't last very long right they were they fell off pretty quick you know maybe 10 15 minutes of fishing we'd reel up and you know if you're fishing for silvers you want about a 25 cent piece gob of eggs when you're when you're hitting those king salmon you go for a 50 cent piece you know a, a good good gob of eggs yeah it makes but a I, big I, difference i think the human the human scent is, is really adversely affects a lot of fish mm-hmm. more than just necessary salmon i was trout i i thought it was really it hurts when i was trout fishing they use their sense of smell so much I, I think we don't quite understand it as much as we probably should <laughs> as fishermen, but I, I think there is something to it. Like if people ask me, why aren't you, you know, putting your hands in, you know, bug spray or, you know, sunscreen, things like that when I'm fishing. Well, it's for that very reason. I mean, they can, they can smell and taste that too. You know, and I mean, another 
real startling fact of that is a blind trout will fish right, will bait right along with the ones that can see. You know, you find trout that are black, and you know their eyes go white. Mm-hmm. When I was working for California Fishing Game at a hatchery in Central California, we'd have some that would go like that, and they live just as well right with the other fishes it as not. So you know, it, there's there's a sensory perception there that they don't need eyesight. Well, I think it's yeah. I mean, that lateral line they can feel vibration through the water, feel stuff that's coming, or you know, sense things that are around them. And then, like you said, that smell, I mean, they can tell real quick what's what's something to eat and what's not. So that makes a big difference. So tell me, in that job, what was one of the more fun things that you were able to do or some of the fun memories you have? The one that was the most fun, I can't talk about because people <laughs> get really upset. But, uh, but uh, I like to go out when we were, we were used to air plant fry. Oh, cool in some of the lakes up there in Central California. And uh, we'd go out actually in boats and be on the on the water when the plane came by. And our job was to keep the, anything, any birds off the fry until they went down deep enough to get off the surface. They're going to be a little disoriented after they get dropped out of an airplane <laughs> into the lake. Yep, yep. Yeah. And they just kind of swim around the surface for a while or so. We'd go out there and run around in a boat and scare off birds and whatever else we could get out there until they finally would go down into the water. But that was that was pretty cool. Because they're easy pickings to a seagull until they get their butts down deep into the water. That's for That's sure. Our, that was our main problem with seagulls. Yeah. So were they doing it like just a low flyover with an airplane and just open the hatch? Open up a... Let them go? Open the back end and let it go just like you do out of a truck. You know, just here it all comes, water and fish. Is it like because I know they did they do that here in Wyoming for like golden trout and stuff like that. It was horse pack to start with. Yeah, yeah, back in the old days, yeah, for sure. But is that what they would just kind of do? Is just kind of take the airplane in nice yeah. low and yeah, sure, drop it and, and low because you know the f- less distance they have to fall, the less impact there is. I mean, they, of course, there's a lot of water that comes out with them, so it's the water that's with them breaks the surface tension of the water they're falling into because you know as well as I do, the water's hard. Mm-hmm. So if you can break the tension, the water surface tension, uh, then the fish can enter the water and not to get too much damage to them. I mean, you're going to lose some. You can't help it. But, yeah. yeah, It's interesting to me just because, like, I mean, there's there's a whole lot of uh, stocking that happens still via aircraft. I mean, there's a lot of places in Wyoming, to your point, David, unless you're going to strap them on your back and hustle them in there, you're not going to be able to get them in there because there's no roads or anything like that. So I know golden trout is a, a big one that the game and fish stocks that way, cutthroat trout, things like that. What were you guys stocking in Mostly California? all rainbows. Rainbows? Yeah, it's exclusively rainbows. But we had one hybrid. I don't remember now what we called it, but it was a, grew quite quickly. It was a fast-growing fish. And, uh, so on the South San Am in Oregon, there's a, uh, a hatchery run of steelhead. And they cut that uh, oh adipose fin off. The adipose fin off the yep. dorsal side. Well, they they do this horrible thing to those steelhead is they uh, recycle them is what they call it. So they have a, a a trap right at the base of the dam in the fish ladder that goes up. They just you know about a third of the way up the fish ladder they have this holding pen, and those fish are released right there at the bottom of the dam. So they always come back to spawn. Well, they take some of the bigger 
hens and bucks and put them in their spawning program. And I got to help volunteer as a kid with the uh, local Northwest Steelheaders Association. I got to help do that spawning. So we'd, you know, get in our chest waders and go in there and we'd have to take an iodine bath so that we weren't bringing foreign bacteria in and stuff. And we'd get them to milk the, the bucks and the hens. And <laughs> I had a, I had a net and we two guys would go walking down this, you know, 60 foot long, three foot deep, eight foot wide holding pen and catch a couple and bring them up in the biologists is there overseeing all of it. But the ones that once they had enough fish for their, you know, hatching program, they just would recycle all the other fish. And so they drive them about 20 miles back down the river and have this 16 inch you know, pipe and they back the truck up and throw the, throw the steelhead back in. And I was there a couple times. I'm like, could we just put a net right at the bottom of that pipe and catch one of those? Cause I'm tired of trying it, you know, average is 40 hours for a steelhead in Oregon. It's a, it's a tough fish. You yeah. Know. Uh, I used to, I've been up at in Idaho a couple of times for a steelhead up there on the, uh, uh Salmon the, river. No, the clear water up out of, oh, uh, yeah. out of, uh, Oh, there's a big dam up there in the reservoir, and they that's where they do a lot of clipping of, of steelhead. You know, so you can always tell the difference between... The, the reason they do it is just to be able to tell the difference between the hatchery fish and the wild because you can't keep the wild. So you. So they take those those fish that, as a smolt, and they run them through an actual... Uh, no. no? At this place, there's about a half a dozen ladies sitting up there with <laughs> clippers. And I, I, I went, my eyes went like this, but they... they and just clip them with scissors, clip, or yeah, they just had clippers. little clippers, you know, not quite nail clippers, but it was similar. And they'd pick it up and pop it off and throw it in the water. And the reason they yeah. do that is huh. to uh, differentiate between the wild, natural, that's right. that's all. Yeah. and most of those places you can't keep, or they have a slot limit or a certain season on those wild. Can't keep the wild. Yeah. yeah, I caught some nice fish up there though. Yeah. They bobber fish. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Drift, yeah, with the bobbers. Yeah, yep. yep, yep. You have to know the depth jig. of your of your. Oh, well, we were using flies. Flies, yeah. You're on a, a leader with about three foot in front of your weight. And then you got your bobber that's set at the. Well, this run happens to be ten foot deep, so you set it at about nine and a half feet, and watch your bobber. You know, until you. And I've caught them that way. It's, it's crazy, but you know, but mm-hmm. it works. I want to get up there and do that. Well, you know, it's a big rainbow that just goes to the ocean. Yeah, I know. Goes back. Gives them that electricity charge. <laughs> Makes them a little stronger. <laughs> yeah. Salt water. Salt water does salt a water lot. Salt water bath. Yeah, there's something about that salt water. It just makes fish a lot stronger. But you were telling me some stories, too, earlier. You know, we've got a lot of people in Wyoming that listen, and you were talking about fishing for trout and streams and different things like that. So tell me some of your most memorable trout fishing stories from Wyoming or in the area anyway. Well, most of my trout fishing before I ever came to Wyoming was California. Right. And uh, did a lot of fishing there. You know. And at the time when I was fishing, I thought I was a pretty good spin fisherman. So, you know, that's all I fished. No no bait, no flies. I'm dyslexic when it comes to fly fishing. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which left or right, and I can't fly fish. I was working there in, in uh, the Denver area, but I had a run uh, that I always went to from Denver to Craig over Highway 40 and a lot of good water in that country when you get up around Steamboat Springs and uh, beautiful fish. Yeah, there's a lot of big ones. I know David, he likes to go hit the fly fishing part of it up a lot more than I do, but 
you know, that, that's the ADHD coming out in me. And, <laughs> you know, I can, we're okay if we go spinner fishing, Patrick, or river fishing, but, but, and bobber fishing's okay. Like we were talking about here a moment ago for steelhead, if we're drifting through, Yeah. but that, Hey, let's toss the bait out and set the rod and just walk away from it. Whether it's in a boat or on a bank, I, don't sign me up. Don't take me. You're not going to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's too hard. Well, it, you know, it, it's a successful way for a lot of people to fish though. Oh, I, I'm yeah, not sure. d- yeah. denying that. Yeah. It's so, just boring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> test my patience too much. We, it, we find the tolerance of David's patience. You know, it's like my wife says, it's like watching grass grow, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. But for some species like, you know, catfish, sometimes that's the best way to go. Sometimes even trout, you know, like a power bait on the bottom or something like that's pretty good. But yeah, I would much rather be casting and retrieving something. Yeah, moving. Yes. Yeah. Moving. It's just I a get, lot more I get, fun. I get tired of sitting, yeah, waiting for something to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Fishing is a lot more fun when you're more active and engaged in it. But I I don't know. But I did want you to share a recipe because you shared it today with our, our friend Rick, and he had never heard of it before. And we'll talk about high mountain seasonings as well real quick. But, um, you know, High Mountain Seasonings is one of our podcast sponsors. They're a great friend of the show, and, you know, they really help us out a lot. Um, Hans and the crew over there are great. If you haven't checked out High Mountain Seasonings, you need to do that. It was a, about two weeks ago I had some family in town. Um, it was one of Hall's granddaughters, uh, Jessica. She came up with her kids, and we cooked up some walleye, and we used a couple of the different seasonings with some butter. Did you try the, the bayou oven. bass? We did. We did bayou bass. And then I also, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. But they have like a Western trout style seasoning. I put some of that on the walleye too. It was really good. Yeah. You know, we just pan seared it in some butter and had fish tacos with a little bit of coleslaw. Man, that was, that was pretty, pretty darn good. So the cool thing with high mountain seasonings is whether you got fish or fowl, whether you got beef or elk, I mean, venison, whether you're doing your own pork, it doesn't really matter what the protein source is. They have a seasoning to complement it. Yeah. In fact, I fed Hall some of it last night. We, I, he was kind of looking at my seasoning and goes, why do you have this hickory burger that you're putting on some of these pork chops? But it turned out really good, yeah, didn't it? it? You know, we had, gives it a little bit of that hickory flavor and then, I also use some of their garlic pepper rub, you know, on there. But, I mean, yeah, like, to David's point, it doesn't really matter what you're cooking. It's really good stuff. So go to highmountainjerky.com. It's H-I-M-T-N jerky.com. But, yeah, you were sharing a recipe with basically the whole cavity, the whole body of a trout once you catch a trout. Big, a big trout. Yeah, a big trout. You take the head, take the guts out. Then what? You fill the, you fill the body cavity with a medium salsa. Throw a couple of bay leaves on the outside, wrap it in uh, aluminum foil, and put it on the high side of your grill. You know, at about 350 to 400 degrees, let it sit there for about a half an hour. You unwrap it, all the skin comes off on the aluminum foil. You grab the tailbone with a pair of pliers and start shaking, and all the meat falls off. And pretty soon, you just take the carcass and drop it off, and all you got is a pile of meat with some nice salsa in it. I'm liking this. <laughs> Yeah, so now we got to go catch some and try that, right? <laughs> well, as as an ocean fishing guy or a steelhead guy, right? Bones are pretty. They're they're not an issue when you're cooking a twenty pound steelhead, right? When you're cooking a an eight ounce trout, bones are an issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't like bones. No, I don't like fish bones either. Yeah, no, that's a great way to do it. And 
you know, I, I think it, it's kind of fun to share recipes, you know, and, and I'll tell you, stories. I'll give you one more. Yeah, let's do it. You ever get into tuna? Of course, mm-hmm. I, we, when we go on the West Coast, we go for albacore. And we'll take a, a steak, not really a steak, a filet, and you pre-cook some bacon to where it is cooked, but it is still flexible. I'm liking the sound of all of this. Then you wrap it, <laughs> it around, the bacon around the f- filet, pin it with a couple of three toothpicks, put it on the grill, and cook your tuna. Not too long, because tuna doesn't take a lot of time. Bacon will cook at the same time, and there you are. Mm. Mm. Okay. <laughs> all right. Trout, trout's first, albacore second, Patrick. Yeah, we're going to have to go do that one. That sounds really good. Go ahead. I got okay. one more. I got one well, more. throw it in there. We're, right. we're, we're doing take, it. Take tuna, take a sweet chili sauce, and baste the fish with sweet chili sauce as you're grilling it slowly. Hmm. I like chili, <laughs> so that sounds good to me. Sweet chili sauce. Sweet chili sauce. Yep, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it goes well with tuna. I bet it does. <laughs> There's not much that doesn't go well with fresh tuna. Yeah, that's but. true. But, uh, yeah, one of the big things that we like to talk about on this show is getting family involved. And, and I know you have, <laughs> I mean, I went on one of the family trips with you, you know, doing some fishing with your boys. And uh, it's, it's important to a lot of people, you know, getting their kids involved. And, and I always like to hear, you know, what are some pearls of wisdom on how to get your kids out and get them involved in the outdoors? What, what kind of advice do you have? have to be an example you have to show some results and get them interested once you get them interested well then the rest of it should be or could be relatively easy as far as taking them further but you gotta you have to set an example really that's the key to where they they can see that you're getting something for what you're doing and you know if if your relationship is the way it should be with your children you would hope that they would follow somewhat in your footsteps, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is just get out. I mean, I go out and I, I would take, I've taken all the girls out. I've taken both the boys out. So uh, not always successful. You know, I mean, like one of the daughters would never go hunting with me. You know, again, two of them wouldn't, you know, but Tony liked to fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, the boys... I don't know. They just never hooked on to hunting. They hooked on to fishing, but never hooked on to hunting. That's interesting. My dad is, and Patrick knows, he's a, he's a fisherman. And you notice in the podcast studio here, we're, we're lacking a few fish on the wall. <laughs> and my brother's very much, his home's the same way as mine. It's, we like to fish, and we will go. But if it's hunting or fishing this weekend, we're, we're, we're going to go hunting. But to your to your point earlier about the uh, the guy that liked to sit there and feed the dolphin, you know, I, I guess I, I could care less if I catch another trout or not, as long as I live. It's, it's fun. I like to eat them. Right. But taking my boys and we went and let me, let me caveat that. I could care less if I catch another fish on power bait, as long as I live, it, it just doesn't excite me. But we went out here to one of the local lakes a couple months ago and the two-year-old outfished the eight-year-old. The eight-year-old caught a fish and was excited. And we had to go three different evenings to get him his fish. And he really, Dad, I want to catch a fish and let's go. So we, we got him a pole and a tackle box and some power bait. And we put some hours in it to get it done. But 
And a little tyke on a little ice fish in a little blue Disney pole <laughs> caught three trout. And I had more fun watching those trout eat his lunch. And then it got on the... He was all right with the fish as long as it's in the water. But once it started flopping on the bank, he, he just had a little come apart like, this is not okay, Dad. So <laughs> I felt like I was a little kid again. I could watch kids catch fish on power bait forever. I'll go. Uh, sign me up. It was great. I can remember... My uh, youngest son, one of the first times we took him out fishing, and uh, he was walking across this little creek, and he had his, had his pole, and it had a lure on it, but he wasn't paying attention, and the lure was touching the top of the water as he walked, and the dumbest brown had to be in the northern United States, hit that lure, right, you know, like at his knees, you know, and he was the most excited kid you ever saw in your life, and he, he likes to fish. Yeah. Well, both of your boys, we had a lot of fun up in Alaska. I know Stephen and I, we we really hit it off and, you know, spent some extra time fishing. Uh, one day we went out, on, uh, out of Seward. We got up really early, caught the charter, went fishing, came back. And so we're sitting there in Soldatna and, and Hall and Scott. and Scott were tired. So they, they went and they hit the sack and Steven and I looked at each other and we're like, you know, I think we can go catch some more. And we fished till <laughs> 1130 or so at night. And it was, it was still light out and it was really cool haul because I, I got this nice buck <clears throat> that I caught and he was probably about eight pounds. And right behind me, I've got a picture. There's a, a rainbow across the river and I'm holding that fish. And that, that was pretty cool. We had a, we had a heck of a good time doing that, but those boys really do love fishing. I think the funniest part about that whole trip was that I foul hooked a sculpin about three <laughs> inches long. I've got a picture of it, and I'm saying, you know, I didn't spend five thousand dollars to catch a three <laughs> foul hook a three inch fish. We got to do something better than that. <laughs> He's not kidding either. I mean, it was a dinky little <laughs> fish. <laughs> about that long, and I foul hooked it. Yep, but I hey, to, I had to put her back. But, hey, we caught a lot of fish legit and had a lot of fun. So yeah, we did. it was good. It was a good trip. Yep. But, yeah, it's it's kind of fun, you know, and just reminiscing about different trips and different things. I remember on that trip just being, you know, kind of an awe and everything. And, um, there is something magical about the Kenai River in Alaska. Alaska is yep. just such a, I don't know. It, it's one of those places that just has a special place in your heart once you've been there. I mean, it, it calls back to you, yeah. like, come back. Come My wife would out. go back in a heartbeat. Yeah. yeah. But I'm uh, not, not going to pull an RV back up there now. Of course, you can't croak. Yeah, you can't right now. <laughs> you, you won't get my wife to go back in a heartbeat. But oh, you get my wife. She'd, she'd go for the summer, but you won't get her up there another winter. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> it's definitely a summer destination. You want the last two weeks in July if you want sockeye, and that's a good time to be there. Well, the, the problem with that is you fight winter for nine and a half or ten months, yeah. and then all these tourists show up and yeah. ruin your nice little <laughs> remote Alaskan town. That yeah. I mean, you can pull up to that four-way stop there on the Kenai Spur in Soldatna any any month outside of June and July, and, and there's one car at it. You pull up there in June, and there's 300 cars each direction, and it, it, it definitely ruins the town if you're a local. So. Yeah, I could appreciate that. Yeah. Now I'm gonna go be a tourist and ruin the town for the locals. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we we feel that way here in Wyoming too. It's like you know I grew up in Cheyenne. You have Cheyenne Frontier Days, and 
all of a sudden, you know, a town of 60,000 becomes a town of, you know, a couple hundred thousand with all the people and it gets, gets a little crazy and a little irritating. I got a giggle just at Shoshone a couple of days ago. We were pulling in in the Bow Spider Suburban to fuel it up, coming home from one of our trips. It was the South Dakota one, and there was this uh, brand-new Mercedes Sprinter all decked out, New York plates, and the guy gets out, and he's got his flip-flops on. He's filling her up, and I, I said, you headed to the park? He goes, yep. I said, okay, just don't pet the bison, please. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I understand they've had a bad thing up there here recently. Well, they have people occasionally say, you know, why don't we put the animals up for the night or why aren't we doing a better job of containing them or caging them? And there's people that legitimately don't understand. That's just raw, wild wilderness. That's not That's not Disney World. Yeah. It's it's more like Jurassic Park. You I, was, <laughs> I was up there a few years ago and... There was a one bull bison standing out all by himself, head down. You know, he didn't even look healthy. And this guy walked up and put his hand over the hump and said, my and his wife, take my picture. And I was saying, throw him, throw him. <laughs> <laughs> Teach him a lesson. <laughs> Cheering. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's not a petting zoo. No. That's that's for sure. And I think people forget about that. You know, we're, we're all real familiar with Wyoming, and we know what that wildlife can do, but... And some of these folks, they don't have a clue like about what a bison can do or a grizzly bear. Grizzly bears look really cute and cuddly until they're barreling down on you at about 30 miles an hour. Well, you know, deer attractant says do not apply to a human being. And there's this old, old VHS videotape of this guy in, in basically World War II military fatigue camels. He goes out and this doe white-tailed deer, you know, he's wearing deer pee. And she comes out and she's... <laughs> I don't know who's filming it, but she's reared up. and I mean, she's actively beating him, and he, he's getting his lunch eaten by this, you know, 90-pound doe white-tailed deer. And, mm-hmm. You know, you get to a 2,000-pound bison, and look what they can, what Cape Buffalo do to African lions. Yeah. Cape Buffalo aren't quite as, they're a little more aggressive than the, the North American bison, but they're not as powerful. North American bison have more, they've got all those front. Horsepower. Oh, bison are. I would not want to tussle with one. No. Yeah, and I mean, you talked about the Cape Buffalo. You've seen those videos of them pitching lions into trees oh, with yeah. their horns. I mean, they're incredible. That That is on my list here very quickly. I've actually uh, reached out to a PH, and we will film it, but I want to go kill a Cape Buffalo with a bow and arrow. There you go. That'll be an adrenaline rush for you. Uh, the hair's standing up on my arms <laughs> right now thinking about it. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's... That would be a handful. Yeah. There's a couple of animals in Africa that scare me more than anything, and one is the hippopotamus. That's at the top of my list. And not far from that is the is the Cape buffalo because, I mean, they're, they're something else. I'm not saying I wouldn't hunt a hippo. It just doesn't entice me. Yeah. They're, they're a cool creature. I'm and, just saying they're dangerous. Oh, they're, they're 40 miles an hour on dry... They look, you know, because when they're in the water, they kind of look like a big, I don't know, manatee. Right? I think of manatee, this slow, sluggish. Well, those hippos get out of the water and just... Well, they can come out of the water in a hurry, though. Oh, they, yeah. You know, even in water, they're not they're not slow. I just watched a video of them just annihilate a crocodile. Just mm-hmm. absolutely chase it down, bite it, pull it out of the water, and just... They got after it. Hmm. Well, you think about their mouth. It's about as big as you can it's get. <laughs> but I did see one hippo... Try and uh, challenge an elephant. Elephant wanted to go through the little hippo pool to the other side, and 
elephant just kind of hooked him and pushed him out of the way, and the hippo finally said, okay, you, yeah. you, you, it's an elephant. Man, those African elephants are something else. But. So when are you going to do your safari? Uh, I talked to the PH. It'll probably be 2022. I mean, we got to get over this travel restriction stuff. But, yeah, it's uh, it's not cheap. I was a little taken back. But I went, my wife and I went in 2013, and we did Plains game. And, you know, I she got a zebra. I got the kudu, and we got some warthog. And I didn't get the impala. That's still on the list. Those are cool. But. And leopard's just too much money. I have no desire for a lion that just, I'm not opposed to it. I have no, I, the management sound, everything's fine. I just don't feel like spending $50,000 to shoot a cat. But like I said, uh, the, the, the ones that really come to mind, top is a Cape Buffalo with a bow. Uh, croc, but I probably am just going to chicken out and use a rifle because I, I don't want to send somebody out in the water to go recover my croc that I made a poor shot on with my bow. Uh, leopard and impala those four are, are pretty high up on the list no cheetah no no cheetah no elephant definitely giraffe doesn't entice me either I, th- I think they're neat i took some pictures i have no problem with someone shooting one eating any of it it just for me i want a big old dug-a-boy cape buffalo you know just a bruiser mm-hmm. and yes i want to sneak into about 60 yards and we'll see what happens See if I, I survive or not. <laughs> have, a guy, have someone behind you with a 460 or something like that as your backup. Yeah, yeah the PH I, the PH that took us in 13, I reached out to his brother, actually, because unfortunately the PH that took us uh, passed away due to uh, diabetes complications. But uh, I reached out to his brother and kind of as a little bit of a memono and memorial and said, hey, what what we charge? I want to do this, and I want to do it. I don't want to do it on a ranch. I want to just go out in the savannah and we'll hike around until we find one so that's that's on the list but it'll be fun we have to get a we'll get those in in this room but patrick and i have talked about it we we got to get a king salmon on the wall in here there's there might be room for a small sailfish not a big one so we're gonna get a few fish <laughs> I, in the podcast I, I two sailfish and one one cast really massive muscle yeah let's let's hear this yeah well, it was, we were just trolling and uh I hit uh, one of the lures, and uh, the crew went to bring in all the other lines that were out. We had like four or five lines. Well, they forgot one. And in the time I'm in landing mine, trying to get intermixes with the other line that's still in the water, and then another sailfish hit it. So now I'm tied into two lines with two sailfish, and we landed at both at the same time. The deckhand, he's... He's going like this, and I said, "Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry." And when we got to the dock, he runs up to the dock manager and he says, "He caught two at the same time." And they're like saying, "Well, how can you do that?" Well, it's, it's easy when they screw up, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> it's easy when they screw up. Yeah. No, I definitely, you know, I'd rather be be lucky than good yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's just like playing golf. I'd rather be lucky than good. You know. So what's the craziest thing you've ever seen while you've been out fishing? We were on a boat over by Catalina Island, and I was sitting up on the, uh, up kind of on the flying bridge with the, with the skipper of the boat. And he says, uh-oh. And I said, what? And he just, says, uh-oh. <laughs> he says, look over there. And I saw this whale underneath the boat. It went underneath the boat. 
and everybody either snagged it or I mean, probably oh, half man. of snagged. So everybody's on this side of the boat, their rods are going like this, and the boat is doing this, and the other guys are watching their line disappear down. And, oh, and it, geez. That poor whale had some jewelry, <laughs> oh, huh? He was wearing a lot of jewelry. The whole boat just sat there went like this a couple of times until he got he cleared everybody's lines. and Snapped them off. Snapped them off, and away he went. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Jeez. You're not, you're not reeling in that foul hooked whale. No, that's for sure. No. no, no. Holy moly! Because he saw it coming. That's what he. That's what he said. Uh oh! Because he went right under the boat. Right that's under. the one thing you don't want to hear your captain say yeah. is uh oh. No. no. <laughs> that's a bad sign. I think I annoyed the captain one time on Kenai. I was maybe fifteen, sixteen, and. Now the water was green and nasty enough up on the window that he sent me up on the flying bridge and we put me in one of those Gumby suits, right? And survival suit. And, and my dad tells the story differently. And yes, the captain sat there and watched, but I had control of the throttle and got to throttle her up the waves and throttle back down. And I mean, up there I could see with the wind and rain in my face, but I had more fun driving the dang boat than I did catching fish on that yeah, trip. That would be fun. I know my son Benjamin loves driving the boat a lot more than he likes fishing, but that's just, that's his personality. He loves <laughs> to drive stuff. So he's a handful, that's, but that's that, all right. That's when he says drive, that means drive his parents a little <laughs> bonkers at times. I was driving a captain bonkers. That's why I said, hey, let's put you up there. I'm sure he could have seen just fine to drive the boat. Yeah. So we need to talk about another one of our sponsors before we finish the podcast, but PK Lures is definitely a, a good good business to do business with. You know, we've I know this year I've I've got a number of friends who've reached out and said, "Hey, you know, I went out there and I bought some of those lures and put them to the test and they work." And yes, they do. Um, I'm not telling you fairy tales, I promise. But they are very effective this time of year being summer period for walleyes. I recommend you get the PK Wobbler, PK Dakota Disc and some of their crankbaits, do some trolling. We do have a promo code with them. Yes, and if you put in RAD at checkout, you can get um, some free Wyoming blades if you buy a spoon kit. So that's something you should check out. But great company, great group of people. They're they're catching a lot of fish right now. I know Kurt, he's on the, on the tournament circuit. He's the owner, and he's been doing really well. So um, go out and check them out, pklure.com, and uh, definitely tell them that we sent you. That, that helps out quite a bit. Um, yeah, another another company we want to talk about is one of our locals and one of our favorites, and that's Fremont Stoneworks. They uh, make some incredible stone signs and glass engraving. So if you haven't checked out FremontStoneworks.com, you need to do that. We have some of the glasses on the website, and they're pretty cool. I like the elk one. I like the walleye one. So <laughs> it makes sense, right? <laughs> so anyway, you know, Hall, it's, it's a lot of fun uh, getting to have you on the podcast, and we've had... You know, I told you about it. We've had lots of different people on, but it's always really cool for me to have somebody on like you because, you know, I feel like you and I are kind of like kindred spirits in the fishing, <laughs> and we sure enjoy going together. Um, it was kind of funny today. It was kind of comical. I I had a buddy who offered to take us out, and, of course, I'm one-armed man, uh, but I got to net a lot of fish for you today, so you did all right. We did. We did well. We did well. And he even caught a carp that is one of the biggest carp I've ever seen in Boyce and actually landed. Um, I'll, I'll post that in the show notes as well because it, it, it gave him quite the tussle. It did. It was a handful. Yeah. Do you, so. do you know how I've been trained to cook carp? 
throw them out. No, no. You go get the nicest cedar plank you can find. You fillet it out, pull all the bones, put some nice seasoning on it, cook it at 350 for about 75 minutes, pull it out of the oven, throw the carboy, eat the cedar board. That's what they used to say about what was it? You used to be able to catch, and you actually uh, you put the hot water in a boot, you cooked the fish in the boot, and then you threw the fish in the water away and ate the boot. Yeah, right. <laughs> I like that one. I'm going to remember that that's one. That's pretty good. I like that. I hadn't heard that. I've heard the cedar plank one, but yeah, that's good well, stuff. Well, to everybody out there, you know, get get on a. Uh, Get on Radcast Outdoor. Tell us what you want to hear more of, what, what you don't want to hear more of. Definitely go support all those sponsors. We we couldn't do this without them, and we we really do appreciate them. Yep. And there's always new stuff coming up. Um, Dave and I, we're, we're kind of in the busy season right now for Bow Spider, but there will be a lot more content coming. Stay tuned. One of the ways you can help the show, if you like the show, is to go rate, subscribe, follow, you know, uh, go on our social media, follow our pages there. And then, of course, the best way is to tell other people about it. That helps us a whole bunch. So we're going to adjourn for this one, but we will come back with some more episodes here in the near future. And thanks again for listening to Radcast Outdoors. 